This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. And this is Nadine Camera, where we speak about what are your dreams, what do you want out of life, and what defines success. Well, Nadine, we got another great show today. We're going to be talking with Scott Joyner. He's an OBGYN practicing in the heartland of America. And uh, he's going to talk about the state of healthcare today. Well, we'll be excited. I'm excited to hear from him. I'm sure he'll have lots of interesting insight about some of the healthcare laws that are being passed. You know, it's one thing you never really think about healthcare until you need it. Yes. And when you do, you get it. It's a great burden and worry. How are we going to afford it with these increasing costs? Absolutely. And you want to make sure that you got the best and the brightest there working on you and that uh, that that you got a quick fix. You know, right. Right. But let's let's go into talking about it. I want to do a leadership moment here and being becoming self-reliant. You know, 2004, when they had the tsunami that struck Southeast Asia, there was a 10-year girl that saved almost 100 people because she was prepared. She had paid attention during a geography lesson that her teacher gave a few weeks earlier about the coming of a tsunami, showing that, uh, you know, when the ocean starts rolling out to sea and uh, the land becomes dry, you head for higher ground. And, and the girl saw this uh, happening, and she said, you know, th- th- we, we need to get everyone to high ground, not knowing what was about to come. So uh, so she was in a place called Macau Beach in Thailand. She recognized the warning sign that her teacher had given her, and uh, she was able to tell her parents, who helped to warn others, to evacuate the beach. And this was one of the few beaches in Thailand that did not have any injuries from the resulting tsunami. So... What can we learn from this story? Well, if we're prepared, we'll be able to face and survive the challenges that life bring us. Well, you know, that's that's an interesting story, Alan. Um, I think it's especially important, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, where we are prone to earthquakes and lots of faults going through our, our area to have disaster preparedness. And from my understanding, we have some of the best disaster preparedness programs in the nation right here. Well, it's it's good to know, but, you know, I, I remember back in 1989 when we had the big, you know, earthquake and mm-hmm. uh, what was that, seven... Seven, one, I, I don't remember. The it exact, was big. It was all I remember is that the the floor rose up two feet, mm-hmm. you know, under me, and uh, and it, it was within a matter of hours that all the grocery store shelves were were cleared out. There was no power. the The transportation system was in, in havoc, and um, you know, the, it, my mind goes back to the days. Say, if something big happened today, would I be prepared? You know, could I face this? Right, and and if we live is again, especially if if you live in hurricane country where where there's lots of hurricanes, earthquake country where there's lots of earthquakes, tsunami, the the importance of being prepared and having a plan, uh, a plan as how to contact your children, emergency uh, backpacks perhaps with emergency supplies, many times um, contact out of the area. Everybody has a, a number where they can contact a family member, perhaps on the East Coast or even out of the country, so they could all report in if they're separated. All of these things are important to have in place uh, prior to be prepared and be self-reliant. So in life, life, we're most content when we are practicing the principles of self-reliance. 
you know, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, a political victory, a rise in rents, a recovery of your sick or the return of an absent friend or some other quite eternal external event raises your spirits and you think good days are preparing for you. Do not believe it. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of the principle from self-reliance. Right. And being prepared, most especially, huh? I, I think everyone Relying out, on yourself. I think everyone out there ought to have a 72-hour kit. Oh, yes. And, you know, they're now available online. You, you can put in emergency, 72-hour emergency kit, and you could find a plerithia of... <laughs> of items to purchase. Well, I'll tell you, my, my wife has got into this thing about the backpacks. And uh, so she has an emergency backpack. And this last week I said, uh, honey, why are all the backpacks by the back door? She goes, oh, that's the emergency backpack. If we need to, to you know, there's some type of emergency, we can grab the backpack and run. We got, you know, food supplied in there, clothes and blah, blah. I said, dear, I can't open the back door. <laughs> <laughs> Can we put them somewhere else? <laughs> so, uh, but it was a it was a reminder about you know that that always thinking ahead, being prepared in case something did happen. You know, there was that peace of mind that was was coming in there. I always find um, for me, I like to put it in my vehicle, in my trunk. Um, I have uh, I had purchased this. Oh, oh, I don't know. Back it was a five dollar kit from Washington Hospital here in Fremont. Now um, it's outdated. You know the, the foods expire. But it was a three day emergency kit, and I kept it in my vehicle because I worked across the bay and I went across a bridge. And I thought, you know, you never know when I might need this. And what better place if there's an earthquake? The chances of my trunk getting smashed are hopefully less and the chances of me being near my car will probably be greater than me near my home because I'm always gone from home at work etc so I felt that in my vehicle would be the best place to store something like that well you think about it too if 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 something major did happen and we lost power you know so you you couldn't get it to an ATM machine you could get to you know use a credit card the cash registers wouldn't work you know are you are you in a position that uh that, that you could survive without, you know, just staying put where you're at, you know, for 72 hours until, until you know, the, the power could get restored or what, what needs to be done. Yeah. And they have a lot of great items. Um, for instance, one of my neighbors, um, for Christmas, I live in a court, and for Christmas they gave the crank, uh, these crank flashlights where they don't need batteries. You just crank them up and they work terrifically um, I believe they're LED lights so they're very bright and uh, what a great Christmas gift uh, to give to your neighbors so that if we do have a power outage or if there is an earthquake or if there is some um, act of God that creates uh, the need for us to have storage or emergency light. We have that. The only thing you have to remember is to crank it. You have to crank it at least once or twice a year to make sure it remains uh, workable. But what a great gift to give everybody uh, something that might, an emergency kit. I I did that once for my nieces. I gave, when I bought that one for my car, I gave each of my um, nieces and my nephew uh, an emergency kit to place in their car so that you never know, but they have it there to be prepared and be self-reliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's always good. You know, just think ahead. You know, what would you do? 
uh, the, you know, as a test run, you know, you know, could you, if you took 72 hours out, you know, survive on what you had around? So what know? are your... Your suggestions, Alan, for well, individuals. I think people should go through a dry run. They they should think about you know uh, you know do they have the uh, the things in need. You know, I was looking at uh, the local electronics store. They now have these walkie talkies that go up to thirty one miles. And uh, I was thinking, you know, if 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 the uh, cell phone towers got knocked out or infrastructure, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a little walkie talkie around that you could communicate with? With family members or loved ones, that's often the the big thing. And when something like that happens, you want to you want to call home. You want to see is everyone right? And all of a sudden, the phone lines will be jammed. Can't right. get through. Right. So uh, you know, putting an emergency plan together. You know, if if you have children at home, you know, telling the children, okay, this is what you should do if something happens, and um, and making sure you have enough food and water on hand, clothing items. You know, I think having an extra extra can of propane in the back. You know, and, uh, you know, so that you could cook, cook right. outdoors. You know? Right. And even water storage. Uh, we never know when, you know, uh, the need for water is, is great, especially if lines, uh, water pipes get broken and uh, you're unable to find a well <laughs> nearby, mm-hmm. especially in big cities. So, <laughs> so all those things are important to have. So staying prepared and being self-reliant, that's, uh, you know, thought for the day. Um, we'll be right back after these messages. We're going to have Scott Jordan joining us on Healthcare in America, the state of healthcare today. Welcome back. We have here today Scott Joyner. Scott's an OBGYN practicing in Heartland of America um, at Heartland Women's Healthcare. Uh, Scott, how long have you been in the, the healthcare industry? Uh, I've been doing obstetrics and gynecology for about the last 17 years. 17 years. Wow. That's uh, have you, what, what changes have you seen over the years? Well, you know, I think the biggest changes is how we do surgery these days. We do it through very small incisions. Um, the recovery time is much faster. Um, from the time of being a resident to today, I've seen just, you know, vastly improved surgical technique, uh, technology, things that have made uh, recovery and uh, moving on with life shortly after surgery uh, much uh, easier and, and accessible. Hmm. Well, very, very interesting. Scott, what are some, um, what do you think uh, that the healthcare industry will continue to see with these advancements? Well, like anything, anytime you have advancements in, in technology, they have, they come with a price, and I think that that's what's trying to be sorted out at this point is the robot and the other uh, laparoscopic things that are happening, at least in my specialty and a number of specialties, um, are much more expensive. Uh, they're more expensive for the hospitals, they're more expensive for uh, the basic costs of just the durable goods uh, that they use are, are, are expensive. So the challenge today is to balance those between outcomes and expense to what we can do economically, and I think that'll be the challenge of the future. Yeah, it it really seems interesting. The world that we live in at the time, we see a lot of advancements in technology and in healthcare and everything else. And you know, the majority of uh, of America, you know, that baby boomer bubble, it still continues to grow old. Right. <laughs> so, you know, have you have you felt some? Um, I, I guess with that in mind, that the staffing and resources, have you felt that that's been adequate? 
Um, that's always a challenge, especially in, in rural America, essentially where I practice. Um, it's difficult to for the uh, hospitals to um, have the resources to take care of the folks who come in who are, I mean, they're wanting and demanding the technology that you get in a big city, but in rural America. And that's and that's a, a balancing act, I think, that's going to be continuing to be more difficult to obtain. Um, their their uh, balance uh, or their budgets, I guess, haven't improved. They've gotten worse. Uh, they're, it's more difficult uh, to balance the costs and the demands. And um, in our own practice, we see the same thing. So I don't think that that's going to change anytime real soon. I don't know how they're going to really solve this, uh, the healthcare situation, because it, you're dealing at, at the same time. I mean, your practice is dealing with, you know, the OBGYN aspect. But, you know, we, we're dealing with the, this huge demographic bubble, you know, as is going out. So, you know, one of the things I heard, and I don't know the, the truth to this, I'm not a physician, but someone says that they have a lot of solutions for healthcare technologies that really haven't come and been released yet. But um, let me ask you the question. Have you seen, like, new medicines or new type of procedures come out that kind of shorten the time of uh, the the need for... Oh, you know, definitely, especially if you want to just talk about the uh, older population, um, you see a lot of, in my case, you see a lot of uh, pelvic floor prolapse and those kind of things. We've definitely improved that over, uh, you know... tenfold the procedures we do today as far as results that we did, you know, 10 years ago. Um, they're shorter. They're same-day procedures. They come and go. Uh, they used to be in the hospital for a couple days. Now they they're, they come, they send a few, two or three hours, and they go home, and they, the results are better. So, I mean, that's directly affecting uh, quality of life in the older population that I see. And, and it's an amazing thing, but it also has a cost. And um, Mm-hmm. You have to balance that. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, what is uh, some of the most rewarding parts of your career? What what has been some highlights? Um, well, of course, anytime you can bring a baby into the world and help uh, that happen safely and uh, and have the experience that women are looking for, um, you know, in, in that's always a highlight in anybody's life. It's hard for me to, you know, or I think anyone to look at a newborn baby and not kind of remind yourself how lucky we are. Um, and then just again to see the ability of uh, of women, in my case, women to be able to come in and be able to be taken care of, to have short recovery times, and, and to go on with their life. That's very rewarding. Um, Seventeen years ago. Oh, we did things I thought well, but they definitely aren't as efficient and as uh, as as helping women get back to their own life quicker and their families and their responsibilities. Because as you know, life hasn't gotten any easier. It's gotten more difficult and more challenging. And if we can get people back to their lives quicker, that's I think this is really our goal. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting. The uh, you know over the course of years, so I've I watched seven babies, you know, our children come into the world. And, uh, you know, every process seemed a little bit, you know, better, a little bit quicker. You know, the, the, the first one, my wife got to stay in the hospital for two days. <laughs> the last one, she was there for four hours. Really? You know, but the bill was three times the, the price. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I can't see the advancements in there. But, um, you know, but as you as you forecast into the future, where do you think we're going with all this? 
Well, I mean, there's a there's an inevitable clash between you know the technology that's going to be driven and the cost and how and to the to the all the individuals who want that procedure i mean there's only so many robots right now and if everybody wants to have robotic surgery it takes longer it's more expensive it's better for some things um it's it's kind of overkill for other things if you're using it for things that could just be done in another way that's always the problem with new technologies everybody wants it but it may not necessarily be the best thing for you and uh but if it's if it's marketed that way, then surely you must have this too. So I see a little bit of that, and I think that that will continue to be a problem as as technology. Uh, anytime a new technology comes on board, it's always more expensive, and hopefully over time it'll become streamlined and less more efficient and, and more economical. But I'm not sure that that's going to be necessarily the case in rural America or in you know America at large, where um, the costs continue to go up. And to provide care, just basic care for each patient that comes in the hospital, and the reimbursements will go down. We, you know, you at some point you have to make those marry up, and I don't know that I can see that anytime soon. You know, you mentioned robotic surgery. Are, are you kidding? You, you, you use a robot to uh, right. And how does that work? Um, it- well, it's like a panel, and you um, it's almost like a, a roller ball. And a, like a and video like a, game? Like, um, similar. Wow. And you hook up the, the robot to the patient, and then you manipulate the arms. And it's pretty impressive. It definitely can do things that human beings, uh, you know, traditional laparoscopic kind of procedures, at least at this point, can't do. Um, so, it, I mean, it definitely has its place. So you're talking about a lower margin of error because the, the hand will be much steadier as you... Well, yeah, I think there's yeah. some stability issues. You can... you can The, the ports allow you to do 360-degree rotations with the, the instruments. Um, I think your visualization can be, be better spent. Um, but you may see technology coming along where there's also just... With using a traditional camera with a one-port operating scope that I think you can can accomplish almost the same things at much lower the cost. Um, and as we improve that, I, I think that you'll see um, that's, I think that the, there's that divergent between the cost of the robot and then the cost of single incision. And, and I think that's where we're headed. Well, so it sounds like, sounds like we're going in the right direction and, uh, you know, getting better at what we do. You know, I but- think we, we definitely are better today than we were you know, even five years ago. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. We're here today with Scott Jorner. Scott's an OBGYN. He's practicing women's health care in the heartland of America. You know, Scott, before this, we were talking about uh, some of the developments in health care. Where do you think the industry is heading these days? And what's the, what's the big discussion about this Obamacare and, you know, what? how does that affect the medical profession? I mean, as far as as I can see, um, it's going to be more difficult to practice medicine in America uh, based on just the cost constraints uh, to begin with. It is our, our costs are going up and our reimbursements are going down. Our our malpractice insurance is going up, at least in, in the state I, continue, I live in. Um, the basic uh, ability to go and see patients and to provide uh, jobs and uh, to keep the lights on, all those things, those are all going up. All my base costs of providing care 
which is I love to do and which is my responsibility and, and I like being an obstetrician gynecologist but at some point at the end of the day you have to make a living as well and you have to be able to pay the bills and you know, the people that work for you and and you know provide for future improvements and your know, practice and those kind of things and I think it's only going to become more difficult the way the the future looks and the under the current regime that we have who's trying to model health care after something I don't really understand so, so Scott, basically, your overhead is going up. Absolutely, and and what you're getting paid is it, it's it's decreasing because the overhead is is increasing. So, how about other um, doctors that you know in in your area of Illinois? Do are do they also feel the same? Are they also against Obamacare, or do you know any doctors that are for any, it? I don't know any doctors that are for it. I, I just none of us see the ability that a government-run healthcare system can be more efficient, that can be more economical, that can meet the costs, uh, our costs, and and uh, provide the kind of care we're currently providing. I just don't. I don't think any of us can see how that's possible. I just. I just don't. We don't see it. You know, it's 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 it seems like there. This is a tug of war then between the insurance industry for medical reimbursements and you know the 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 escalating costs. I guess what's your highest cost? in the practicing area right now? Uh, I, I, well, I mean, we have costs, malpractice insurance, okay. I mean, those kind of things. Um, the costs of, of just... The dur- hospital? Or- well, yeah. I mean, the hospital is... Patients will end up... The hospital costs have definitely gone up. Mm-hmm. We have complaints about that all the time. I got mm-hmm. my bill, and, you know, actually the doctor's bills are really very minuscule compared to what the hospital bill is. <laughs> That's what I've noticed. I mean, it's it's yeah, not like it's... we're getting the the lion's share of the money from their experience. I know sometimes they think that you know we walk away with a large portion, and, and ours is minimal compared to the whole bill in the picture. But I understand the hospital situation is too. Their costs have all gone up, so it's a tug of war between um, what how they can make their margins improve and, and be better able to provide care and, and do a better job as well. So I'm, I'm not trying to throw hospitals underneath the bus here, but you know, in oh. the same sense, sometimes that doctors always are, you know, that we're greedy and we're we we only are about the buck, which is rarely the case because most of us are trying to just do the best job we can. But at the end of the day, we have to make a living. Well, and also I think that the other argument there is we want we want the best physicians out there. For if your life's on the line, you don't want someone that uh, decided on a whim that. They they go get their degree in uh, medicine. You want you want the best and the brightest out there. Uh, uh, we we and, I think most of us really try to do the best job we can. Yeah, and 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 you know, needless to say that that requires also that you pay, you know, for the talent. There was a couple of years ago back in Silicon Valley, you know, when the dot com was just booming, all sorts of kids were checking out of Stanford to go to their companies rather than do the uh, do the degrees because right. they they found that there was more money on the other. You know, right? Another track there. So about about the Obama health care law, as you stated, you feel the doctors will, are going to lose revenue or continue to lose revenue. Um, what about insurance companies or the healthcare industry as a whole? Do you think they will have uh, continue to lose revenue as well? Well, I mean, any company always passes their costs on to the consumer. So um, if you can, and so. Uh, I think it's just a fantasy to think that your insurance costs aren't going to go up. Uh, we've seen them go up 
and they'll continue to go up. They have to, if they have to figure out to make those margins to work, and that's the only way to do it. So let's talk about let's talk about the business model because obviously there's a. You know, you're competing, you know, with uh, with limited costs. And there's only so much in the pool of, of, of reimbursement money. But what are some of the things from a um, physician practice that, that you do, that, that you're doing to kind of combat the, the whole challenge of Obamacare? Well, yeah, obviously you have to look at how you provide care and how you can cut back on your expenses. Uh, we hire less. We we hire less people. I mean, we try to get the most out of the people that we've already employed. Um, just because you can't take on the additional costs of of more employees with more benefits and and all those things that that drive up your costs. So you look at you know you 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 you, you tighten up your expenses and your budgets and and all those things that uh, you know, where you can to make it work. Um, it's just like any other business you have to figure out to you mean you can't cut costs in taking care of the patient because then you you I mean you can't do that mm-hmm. so you have to look at the things you need or don't need and how to get those down and look for the best deals like anyone else it's- so i had a friend come to me and he said um he said okay under this new obamacare he says basically the way that it's written he said the government basically can decide who lives and who dies, depending on whether they're going to pay for a procedure or not. What do you say to that? Um, do they tie the to, Do they tie the doctors' well, hands it, essentially? Or I don't have all the details, and but you're going to have a two tier system. I mean, how can you not? Mm-hmm. There will be people that who will be able to afford to pay for other services in healthcare. Um, they're going to find them, and there will be find people that will provide those for for additional. Of funds, so um, you know, I, I just don't think that that's where America wants to go. I just don't think we want to be there. Um, it, it's it's more divisive than I think we need, should be. I mean, so so controversial issues. Is there any reason why you think Congress exempted themselves from the new health care? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to ask yourself that question. I mean, if it's such a great thing, why wouldn't I want to be involved in it? Um, and that's you know, those are many questions like that that we have to ask about how you know what do we want in America? Do we if we want to be another um, prototype of uh, a European system that um, then you know we need to look hard and ask all those questions. I don't think we've done that. I don't think people have been adequately informed. Most people didn't want the health care bill passed. We don't really talk about that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it got passed. Uh, Without the consent of really the the public, and and to uh, we don't talk about that a whole lot, and I think we should. I think we should really get the uh, facts out there of what this is really going to uh, entail, and I'm not sure everyone's really going to like all the the small print, if you will. Are there are there any advantages to the Obamacare uh, law? Anything that doctors have seen? Any anything positive about the law? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I haven't, again, went through the fine-tooth comb, but uh, most of us don't think that any time you add bureaucracy to a, a very uh, large enterprise, uh, there's no way to make that efficient, and there's no really way to make it better. Um, sure, do we? most of us think we can improve on it? Absolutely. Do we think that there are too many people without insurance? We think so. We think that... Um, 
we need to make it available, but also make people responsible for what they're buying and what they're obtaining and uh, make, make us all responsible, not just the government. You know, it also seems that maybe one thing that will come of this is the need for better preventative health care rather than, you know, to wait until the last minute to try and catch things much earlier. Well, I mean, absolutely. Anytime uh, we can be preventive and uh, prevent disease before we get to the have to fix the problem, I mean, that's just definitely a better way to go. Um, I think actually in some ways uh, we've moved in that direction a little in a positive light. Um, the challenge that I see in the future with preventive medicine is is that people aren't going to want to pay for those things again. It's like going to be mandated without a payer. So then I'm going to be mandated to do things that are preventive medicine without any payment. And you can't do that. I mean, you know, it's okay for government to come in and say, well, you have to provide, you know, you know the, all these services, but yet the, we're not really going to pay for them. Well, it doesn't work. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We're here visiting today with Scott Joyner, an OBGYN practicing in the heartland of America. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. We're here today visiting with Scott Joyner. He's an OBGYN practicing in the heartland of America, women's health care. You know, Scott, I heard it's expected that the new health care law may ensure almost 32 million additional citizens which will have an effect on the emergency room admittance in the hospitals. Uh, this means that hospitals will need to make room to accommodate this increased number of potential patients. Consequently, the Obama administration is trying to decrease emergency room visits by over 20% with the new health care law. Well, you know, Alan, okay, so they decrease emergency room visits, but they increase hospital visits. So then won't that consequently make it when if I need to go to the hospital, there's not going to be a bed available for me? Hmm. That's interesting. They, the many changes will come as a result of this new law. In fact, you know, it's uh you know, I've been sitting in emergency rooms before with one of my kids got a finger slammed in the door and severed the finger and and I was holding the thumb in place and uh I said uh, I I need to go see a doctor and this will just sit down, sir. <laughs> It was about 20 minutes, and I had about three different doctors look at it, and finally we got the right doctor in there. And yeah, she turned out fine. Right. But man, I was just, you know, sweating bullets as a parent, you know, right. trying to get trying to get the health care done. So, so we're looking at these new changes coming as a result of the tax law. You know, additional insurance allowing 32 million more people in, the Obama administration saying, okay, now we need to keep these people out. Scott, you share with us how this law had, will affect those who practice in the medical field. With, with all of these changes that are going to be implemented, what can citizens do to be better self-reliant on health care matters? Um. <laughs> I think that's an interesting question that, I mean, there's so many options and available uh, media, informational things on the Internet and, and that they can be exposed to um, in their own personal health. Uh, but they should also educate themselves on uh, the local resources, the, the hospitals, the emergency rooms, um, what's being, uh, what's available at each one, um, because they're not all the same. And, uh, you know, to think every hospital is the same, I think is, um, that's a little naive. 
Um, each each uh, hospital and each community has different resources, and uh, I think you should be aware of who has what and what they have to offer, and if uh, they have heart programs, if they have stroke programs, uh, if their emergency room doctors are board certified, um, if they have the ability to take care of pediatrics or children. Uh, well, I mean, those are all important questions. I think that the the consumer should educate themselves and some and also be made make that aware to your local um, hospital systems and providers so that you can have the services that you're, you desire. So at the end of the day, it's not all the same. You want to make sure that, that the, the group that you're practicing with, in other words, that you're coming to the right right individual, the uh, right specialty. Absolutely. And I think yeah. today with the technology we have, it's easy to figure that out. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much out there about who's doing what and what's available and um, you know, the latest, greatest, not, not that those are always the best, but, you know, usually you can tell if people are trying to uh, pursue the, the practice of medicine in the most up-to-date way and, and uh, if they're providing that and opportunities for you and your family. Mm-hmm. So, so being in rural America, it must be interesting. You don't have the uh, resources that these, you know, inner city urban hospitals have. What, 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 are, you, what are you seeing out there? You know the changes and how you how you're delivering healthcare. Well, and I think that that gets to the heart of the conversation that we're having about um, healthcare in rural America, uh, because as Americans we always want the best. We want the most technologically advanced, and yet we're moving to a system that I think is going to make everything mediocre, um, because that it's that is what. I mean, it's driving healthcare that way instead of the excellence that we have always been in the United States and in America and driving the technology. We're going to then be forced into a system where, you know, you get what you get because, you know, we're, you, you must see everybody for this amount of money. And if you can't provide those services, then, you know, uh, I just don't see how they work. I, I just don't see. Yeah, if we, we might have 32 million people with health care, but what kind of health care do they have now? Is it the kind of health care that they think everyone should be getting, or is it the kind of health care that only these folks are, get exposed to because they've driven the market that way? I, you know, I have my own personal opinion that I think we're going to you know, find the least common denominator, not the best and the brightest. Mm-hmm. I agree. I I did read an article about Britain and their healthcare, and um, I I can't tell you the percentages off my head. But women with breast cancer in America have over a ninety percent success rate, uh, whereas if you live in Britain, it's down to sixty something percent. I, I think those wow. were the numbers because of their um, because government run healthcare. They just aren't providing for certain ages. If you're above a certain age, they just won't provide the services that you need because of the costs. My mother is uh, lives in Portugal. Um, she has lived there and back and forth here. And um, it's the same thing. There are some wonderful things about the uh, government program. She's diabetic. She can get uh, her medicines for free. Uh, but then if she goes into the hospital, uh, the wait time to see a doctor and to have more up-to-date uh, technology and services. They're just not there. There's a list. They're, they're put on a list for surgical procedures. And so and if you have money, you'll go find someone to do the procedure and you won't be on the list. Right. One, of her, one of her good <laughs> friends um, 
called from Canada, and I was talking to her about the health care. And Canada is told that America lets people die in the streets, that we have people dying in the streets. Well, we're not like our health care isn't like America, where people are dying in the streets. And obviously, they don't understand that we don't turn people away at hospitals. But um, she said that her good friend broke his hip, and he's with a broken hip, has been waiting over six months to have hip surgery and is on a tremendous amount of painkillers and saving money to come to America to get the surgery done because he's on a waiting list. Mm. Well, it's, it's, um, you know, that's, you're going to see more and more of that. And where the whole argument that people can't be seen for their health care in America, I've never seen it. Uh, You go to any emergency department, they don't turn people away. If you come to our office, we don't, turn people away i mean we work things out we have things i see patients that i know can't pay just because it's the right thing to do and most doctors in america already do that so it's it's an it's an argument that i don't think really has a lot of weight and and then it's not based in reality that yeah it's, it seems like the physicians are kind of caught between a rock and a hard spot you're, you're trying to deliver the health care and you want to get everyone that you can right and at the same time, you know, it sounds like your hands get tied at times, although you want to give the care, you know, they're, they're, the bureaucracy may be upholding, you know, or, or, or uh, delaying, you know, delivery there. If this, if this law goes through, I think there'll be more government interference in, between the doctor-patient relationship. Uh, my mother's friend in Canada does, did say, well, the government made it to where doctors can only see you for 15 minutes. An office visit cannot be more than 15 minutes in, in, in the areas of Canada, and that lots of doctors have left, that they've had a shortage mm-hmm. of doctors, and they've left to come to America to practice. Do you, think, do you foresee something like this happening? Well, we would always hope not. I mean, I think that that's always been the great thing about American medicine is, is that the, you go through a lot of training to get to the point when you should be able to see patients and make the best judgments for their well-being and get them the services that they require so that they'll have optimal health. That's the key, and that's the goal. And I think we've always done a really good job about doing that. We, and, we, and most of us don't pay attention to what kind of insurance they have or their ability to pay. Once they get to see us, we're more concerned about taking care of them and their needs and getting them through to optimal health. With that said, the more... Um, whatever you want to call it, red tape, uh, any whatever regulations, rules, um, it does become burdensome, and it becomes draining on physicians every time they turn around when there's more and more things placed upon us. We must do this. We must do that. I mean, at some point in time, especially if you're an older physician who can retire soon, you're going to retire very soon because you're not going to put up with that. And uh, I think that's what's see. This is the thing that isn't really talked about here is that if Obamacare comes into play, anybody that's really close to retirement, those those physicians, I think, are going to retire because they just won't. They're not going to start up. Now so up. hence, we might already start seeing a shortage of doctors. Do you well, think? I think what's going to happen is you uh, is people are going to see more mid levels. They're going to be see less than. Uh, they're going to be seen first by people who don't have degrees, but who are mid-level providers who make decisions that they weren't, uh, and, and their supervision, I think, is going to be a little shaky. That's just my opinion. I think we've become a, we're going to become a mid-level provider 
like in this nurse country. practitioners, nurse practitioners. I think you're going to, you know, um, physicians assistants. Not that they're in their place that they're very good and they do a very good job, but I just think you're going to end up seeing a lot more of those folks who didn't do the training and have the background. Yeah, it reminds me of the experience when I was in the Philippines. I had a toothache. Went to the dentist office and the receptionist sat me in the chair and she pulled out a drill. I said, what are you doing? She goes, well, I'm going to drill on your tooth. I said, are you a dentist? She says, no, but I know how to do this. <laughs> I said, I'll wait. <laughs> well, Scott, this has been a, come to that. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure having you here today and uh, talking about the, uh, the future of the healthcare and where we're at now. And um, we appreciate you being with us on the show. It's been show. my pleasure. It's a great opportunity to talk to you. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. We have been visiting today with Scott Joyner on the state of healthcare in America. That was really interesting stuff. You know, it's one thing about healthcare, we often don't think about the need for healthcare until, you know, until we're there. We're there in the steps of the doctor or the, you know, the hospital trying to get treated. And, um, you know, it's interesting to, to see that, uh, you know, what we currently have going on right now with Obamacare. Uh, probably is not going to work unless we get some better solutions out there. Right. Uh, um, My personal opinion is that I feel that something needs to be done with these escalating costs, uh, but perhaps stimulating competition uh, would be better than having government interference. I, I, I think the best place to start is to say, no, Congress, you're part of this plan. (laughs) <laughs> you you are part of the you know whatever you come up with you're subject to this insurance plan also this healthcare system and you cannot exempt yourself. Well, you did, know, didn't that, Obama say that we were going to have their plan at the very beginning? I think he was tooting it that we're going to have the same plan that our Congress has. Yeah. So and then Congress has exempted him, themselves from our plan. So it's very interesting uh, being one that is definitely reliant uh, due to injury on um, health care for my entire life. It, it can be uh, quite a worry. And what am I going to do to make sure I'm receiving it in, in my twilight years? So so we started the uh, show today talking about self-reliance, being prepared, making sure that we're, uh, you know, when the unexpected happens, that that we're not caught off guard. And um, with our economy as it is, I see that this is a key to uh, surviving in our world. We never know when the next disaster is coming, when the next flood, the next hurricane, the next earthquake. We only know that it will happen. We just don't know when and we don't know where. Uh, there was a reminder, my, one of my son's um, friend's family, um, the, the dad lost his job, and he had been out of work for two years. And, mm. uh, you know, but, but this family was prepared. They actually had enough in savings. Um, they had, you know, put a food supply together, and uh, they were able to make things work out because... Um, because they they had saved in the uh, the, the early days to make sure that if they didn't expect to happen that they wouldn't be caught off guard. They were prepared. My mother used to can foods. I remember uh, or jar, and those ball jars of fruits and and vegetables. And we always had a lot of them in our garage. I I don't see that as much anymore. But it sounds like this family was prepared. What do you suggest, Alan, to help people become more self-reliant and even financially reliant to get out of debt? Well, yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. You know, I, I think debt is bondage. A person that owes other people money, 
you know, is uh, is subject to that person showing up on the doorstep and telling him what what they want to do. Right. And, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than feeling that you're in bondage to somebody else. And so if you're if you're in some type of financially strapped situation, first place I would start is what do I need to get out? do to get out of this. You know, I met a guy who, uh, you know, he was hiding out from the bill collectors, afraid to go back to work because he knew the bill collectors would show up on his doorstep, you know, taking whatever he earned out. And I said, look, you're going to go through your life five years from now. You'll be in the same situation unless you deal with this today. And so dealing with, you know, getting debt resolved, getting the financial house in order is, uh, is paramount to uh, becoming self-reliant. And then beyond that, there's other resources that, that you need to really look at. Um, you know, so aside from looking at debt, if you're not sure how to do it, seek a professional advice. There's a, there's a lot of people out there that can help you work through the financial planning. Spend less than you earn. You know, they, it's always living under your own means is, is a good way to, um, you know, put some stuff away and, and set a monthly budget. You know, save a little money on the side. And remember to pay yourself. When you get your paycheck, one of the first things you should do is pay yourself into a savings account. And then you can spend the rest for the needs. Be prepared. Be prepared. And then um, don't invest more money than you than you can afford to lose. Yeah, that That's one of the mistakes. People want to go in the quick-rich scheme. There is no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, if it's too good to be true, it is. Yeah. Stay away from it. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams. We've enjoyed having you with us the last hour. And uh, talking about healthcare. And stay tuned. Next week, we're going to be having an exciting guest, Sanjay Subheader of Storm Ventures. And he's going to be talking about the state of venture capital here in Silicon Valley. we got some good news ahead, and we'll be on that page next week.